Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we thank you for guiding us in in this revelation of restoration of the saints. Lord, um, it's so important to all of us who want to be like Jesus. And uh, we thank you for helping us today to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to continue with Restoration of the Saints, number 12. And we called it, Destroying Your DNA or Restoring Your DNA. Well, as we've seen, the confession of the curse brings destruction of the DNA. And this is what men do every day as a norm. As they see their natural face in the mirror instead of the gospel face, of Jesus, as in Second Corinthians three and eighteen, as a narrow example of this very broad principle of the DNA curse, the medical establishment demonstrates this phenomena by pointing out specifically all of man's curses and making sure that they fear them so that they can control the people. As Job said. In uh, Job uh, 3 and 25, For the thing which I fear cometh upon me, and that which I am afraid of cometh unto me. And Jesus confirmed this, uh, saying in Matthew 18 and 13, As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And as I've said so many times, fear is faith in reverse. It is faith in the curse. The uh, medical establishment confesses the curses and demands that we do too, um, but they always ultimately lose the patient to the curse. They practice medicine, and that's not good. Um, their pharmacia actually brings more curses as side effects because people believe they're under the curse. They don't believe they've been delivered from the curse, and by the stripes of Jesus they were healed. They don't believe it. These people walk by sight and not by faith. Uh, so they make sure everyone who would listen feared COVID-19 enough to take the vaccine, which people are doing, um, and they're dying uh, in a geometric progression. And before this man-made curse, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association said 450,000 people were dying a year in the U.S. from iatropic, which is healer-related causes. The angels told us that the Lord would return in his man-child body and completely restore the DNA of his holy people who confess him before men. Um... 
the angel Baruch said, There is much busyness happening in the kingdom of our Lord. Much excitement is among the saints and the angels. Everything is prepared and ready for his return. And uh, and then, after a moment, uh, he said, The Son is waiting for the Father's command. And uh, Jesus, David asked, <laughs> So the man-child is coming? And Baruch said, Surely. And David asked again, What does the coming restoration involve personally? And the angel Jeruel answered, Restoration on a DNA cellular level. Faith and power will be imputed to receive healing and restoration. It will be complete restoration, not partial. The first fruits are first. They will be the trailblazers. There will be a mighty supernatural outpouring of spiritual restoration of closeness to God through His Holy Spirit. Well, science is pointing this out. It appears to me that the Lord, through the spoken words of His man-child, will bring the frequency needed to restore DNA. And all we need to supply is uh, the words of faith in the promises of God, which we have known is the cure for the curse. And um, Jesus, um, through His sacrifice took away the devil's power of death. Hebrews chapter 2 and 14 says, uh, For those who believe, he never had the authority of death. Authority is right to use, is a right to use power. Okay? 1 Samuel 2 and 6 says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to Sheol, and he bringeth up. So death and life are in the hand of the Lord and not any other. But again, that does not negate our responsibility. Uh, Proverbs 18 and 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So God, we cooperate with God in this process by agreeing with His Word. How can two walk together except they be agreed? So we need to be careful to agree with God's Word that we fall not under the curse. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 warns us not to add to or take away from His words. Don't let any man do it or cause you to do it. Numbers 14 and 28, As you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Matthew 12 and 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, that means accounted righteous, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. If you want to be healed, delivered, uh, whatever, uh, all of the benefits of God, you must agree with God's word. So God reacts to the way we react to his word. Everything is subject to the word of God. Um, Psalm 138 and 2 says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So God puts the word first as a standard to trust even above his own name, which in Hebrew means character and authority. And God wants us to know that he puts his word above any desire or purpose that we might think he has. 
but his word is his desire and purpose. Okay? And um, this is, uh, again, something Deb Horton sent us, uh, words heal or curse your DNA. I'm going to do just a little bit of recap here. Um, she said, below are Cliff's notes uh, by Deb Horton of an article which reports that science has finally acknowledged that words have physical power. Yes, they do. And after removing all the New Age gobbledygook, the article acknowledges that Russian scientists have discovered that spoken words alone can and do reprogram DNA. So, uh, the tongue conquers the curse. Or the tongue can bring the curse too. Okay. Key points quoted from the article, which is translated from German, so the terminology will sound a little strange sometimes in English. Um, number one, DNA can be influenced and reprogrammed by words and frequencies without cutting out and replacing single genes. Number two, the Russian linguists found that the gen genetic code, especially in the apparently useless 90%, which has been called uh, junk DNA, no such thing, follows the same rules as all our human languages and that human languages are a reflection of our inherent DNA. Number three, one can simply use words and sentences of the human language to influence genetic information. In other words, agreeing with the words that we are not under the curse and that by His stripes we were healed can bring uh, a change to your DNA. And this, too, was experimentally proven. Uh, living DNA substance in living tissue, uh, not in vitro, will always react to language-modulated laser rays and even to radio waves if the proper frequencies are being used. Number four, this finally and scientifically explains why affirmations can repair genetic defects. Well, that's talking about our confessions. Our confessions of the positive promises of God concerning us in our circumstances. And they have power to change. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Amen. We love the Word of God. We want to be in agreement with the Word of God. We want to confess the Word of God. And number five, our body is programmable by language, words, and thought. This has now been scientifically proven and explained. The individual person must work on the inner processes and maturity in order to establish a conscious communication with the DNA. In, a, in other words, 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says, Casting down all imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And number six, 
The Russian scientists also found that our DNA can cause disturbing patterns. Stress, worries, or a hyperactive intellect uh, prevent or distort the communication and make it useless. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So many people let their mind uh, go into the hands of unbelievers or watch TV or do something goofy like that, right? Number seven, uh, an ordered group consciousness creates order in its whole surroundings. Wow. When a great number of people get together very closely, potentials of violence also dissolve. So, what I take from this is coming into one accord is powerful, especially when we come into one accord with God. Proverbs, uh, well, no, Romans 15 and 5 says, Now the God of patience and of comfort grant you to be of the same mind one with another, according to Christ Jesus. And Romans 10 and 10 for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession, there's that agreement, is made unto salvation. Agree with your fellow man concerning the word of God, and agree with God concerning the word of God. Okay, researchers think that if humans with full individuality would regain group consciousness, they would have a godlike power to create, alter, and shape things on earth. Well, of course, Babylon was scattered because they had their own ideas and they went astray of the Lord. And uh, and Babylon is still scattered, you know. But the church should not be because we should have one standard, the Word of God. So this group consciousness uh, would be Christ in us, the hope of glory, Matthew 18 and 19. Again, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. And, of course, he was talking to disciples. He wasn't talking to Christians who have half their mind in the world or most of their mind in the world. He's talking about disciples agreeing on the word of God. Amen. So, here's an article, um, Verbal First Aid and the Power of Words. Now, this is talking about uh, humanity uh, naturally speaking. And I want to say just a few things in it about uh, supernatural thinking, okay? But even in the natural, we are pointed out some good things here. This was on Natural News uh, by Danny Veracity, 516.06. According to Professor Judith Simon Prager, what you say to a person in a crisis is just as important as what you do. How a person experiences an illness or injury is important to both the healing process and the person not developing post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD says Professor Prager, who travels worldwide training people in what she calls verbal first aid. The technique she teaches takes 
fight-or-flight response into account and incorporates two systems largely ignored by mainstream medicine, the body's powerful self-healing system and its extremely influential belief system. Well, we know Jesus said, As you have believed, so be it done unto you. So we can encourage people's belief and, and, and so encourage healing. And when you believe him, it comes out of your mouth. Hence, there is a positive vibrational frequency. Okay, back to the article. Furthermore, this mind-body approach can make the difference between life and death for someone suffering from a major illness or injury. Proverbs 18 and 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Unfortunately, fight-or-flight response does more harm than good because, in Professor Prager's words, it makes you stupid. (laughs) Yes, we talk about the stupid demons sometimes. Uh, When we forget God's word and his promises, demons will take advantage of fear, anxiety, and negativity in order to make people stupid. Okay, back to the article. And though no one can doubt the power of intuition, fight-or-flight response does, in fact, hinder complex thought, well, which occurs in the frontal lobe, okay, uh, because it makes the blood nourishing to the frontal brain go to the midbrain. Hmm. This midbrain thinking is an altered state that Professor Prager calls the healing zone. This is a highly susceptible position or state in which the injured or ill person is unable to exercise personal judgment. Therefore, the words other, others say around that person weigh heavily on his or her emotions, and because all emotions elicit a physical response, physical well-being. This mind-body connection is core to verbal first aid. Quote, our thoughts give rise to physical manifestations, unquote, explains Professor Prager. The mind-body link is not just a theory either, as studies show that words alone can influence automatic nervous system activities, such as heart rate and breathing rate. Furthermore, she cites two former medical mysteries, uh, doctor-induced illnesses, and the placebo effect as proof that the mind-body connection exists. Of course it does. We know it from the Word. She says, Many of us have experienced some form of doctor-induced illness. For example, when a doctor says, this, medical, this medication may make you sick, Most people will perceive some form of negative side effect. The placebo effect is a similar phenomenon in which we feel what we believe we are supposed to feel. The fact that this placebo works as well or better than the tested pharmaceuticals 33% of the time 
concerns some and mystifies others. It's certainly not information that Big Pharma would like you to think about. But nonetheless, it is the truth. So how can it be? Well, the body makes its own chemicals, Professor Prager reasons. So if you think a pill will help you, it often will, even if it's just a sugar pill masquerading as a pharmaceutical drug. Okay, well, here's my thoughts, is think how much better it would be to not have the bad side effects of drugs or trusting in the arm of the flesh, as Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 warns us, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh the flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, a salt land, and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out its root by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but its leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Great promises and a great warning. Okay. Back to our article. University of Kansas professor M. Eric Wright discovered verbal first aid in 1990. And when he experimented with two groups of emergency medical technicians, the control group was told to continue normal emergency response procedure. But the other group was given a set of parameters to follow. Number one, minimize extraneous input, such as witnesses' reactions. Number two, say a specific a paragraph that includes the worst is over. <laughs> uh, tell your body to preserve itself. Encourage healing and limited blood loss is in quotations here. Um, you're in a safe position. The worst is over. Number three, don't talk too much about anything else. After six months of following these parameters, the trained uh, group patients experienced a much lower uh, mortality rate. <clears throat> well, how much more powerful it would be if we spoke the words of life over people. So this is going beyond the natural to the supernatural. Jesus said in John 6 and 63, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. And also Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. I remember uh, being in a, a collision of uh, that was a pile up of vehicles together, 
and the guy in front of me was bleeding profusely out of his nose and mouth. And uh, I did, I got into the vehicle he was in and uh, very carefully took him out and laid him and stretched him out on the ground. And I put his head on a curb because blood was pouring out, bright red blood. Lung blood was coming out. I know lung blood. I'm a hunter, okay? I, know, I've, I have hunted deer, and lung blood is like that. It's got plenty of oxygen in it, so on and so forth. I prayed over the man, commanded him to be healed, and uh, they picked him up, took him to the hospital. I called the hospital immediately when I got home, and they said, we turned him loose. There's nothing wrong with him. So how much more powerful is the supernatural than the natural? We're not doubting the natural. The natural is, is pointing out something to us here. Okay? Diagnose ISIS. And the power of words. And this is Natural News by Carolyn Dean, 511.11. Well, diagnosis or diagnostitis, I think that's what it is, diagnostitis, is a new disease that I invented. I'm sure many others have had the same idea. It's a condition caused by health professionals declaring that you have something wrong with you that's incurable. And the symptoms can only be treated with drugs or surgery. Diagnostitis is a inflammation and irritation that you feel when you are given the wrong diagnosis. Or it could be a diagnosis callously embellished with all the horrors of the disease. In other words, the bad report. <laughs> That's my thinking. The bad report. How many wrong diagnoses come to pass because they had so much faith in the doctors? Or a true diagnosis that came to pass because the person acted upon it by faith. Right? So years ago, in uh, one week, two women associated with our fellowship were told that they had breast cancer. Well, I wouldn't have asked them in the first place. Uh, we prayed for them, and we told them that they were healed according to the Word of God and to believe Jesus' words. We warned them not to believe any other words. In both cases, the doctors convinced them otherwise. They both ended up having mastectomies, and the lab results showed that there was no cancer in the breast tissues. And they have to report that. Okay, so they did. Okay, back to our article. When I was a second-year medical student doing rounds with an orthopedic surgeon and my clinical group, I witnessed our surgeon describing the terrible fate awaiting a young man recently diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis. Okay, if I don't know if I pronounced it right. Uh, a deforming arthritic condition in front of the patient. I was appalled. At the end of rounds, the doctor started to criticize me for sitting on another patient's bed to obtain their history. And I said, No, I want to talk to you. I immediately launched into his incredible insensitivity for dashing any hope of recovery from Adam, the spondylitis patient. Diagnostitis 
can be the result of being given a diagnosis. The doctor may not have the tools to help his patient, but he dashes any hope that something else or someone else might have answers. Well, we know that that someone we know is Jesus Christ. By his stripes we were healed, right? And here's another cause of diagnostitis, they, they say. I've had clients who tell me doctors have blurted out, I can't believe you're still alive. <laughs> or, or the doc, doctor simply says, I can't believe you're doing so well. Well, this statement to some can be a triumph that you're, you've surpassed your doctor's expectations. But to another, it could reactivate the uh, feeling that you didn't have any very good chance of uh, surviving and initiate uh, a setback. So doubt and unbelief uh, will always cause us to setbacks, right? And whether it's our own or that of, of someone else's uh, speaking it to us, you know, we don't need to hear that when we need a miracle from God. So... They went on to say, That recently happened to a client of mine. After extensive back surgery, he went for his two-week checkup and x-rays. The x-ray technician was shocked at the major work that had been done. The technician's genuine surprise that he was doing so well in the face of such extensive surgery threw my client into irrational fears that his recovery was probably tenuous and wouldn't last. I remember when I first went to medical school, doctors didn't tell patients how sick they were or whether or not they had cancer. Then came the error of the informed consent. Now doctors felt obliged to tell patients if, they, uh, if there was even a 5% chance that they had cancer. Oh my gosh. You may not agree, but I think telling a person they may have cancer can actually sow the seeds of cancer in their vulnerable mind and body. Of course, uh, Proverbs 23 and 7 says, For as he thinketh within himself, so is he. And Jesus said, As you have believed, so be it done unto you. Wow. I recently wrote a foreword for a soon-to-be-published book called Become a Wellness Champion by Pam Bartha, a science teacher and writer. In 1988, at the age of 28, Pam was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She was told by her neurologist that it was only a matter of time before she would land in a wheelchair and then be completely disabled. This doctor was playing God. He was uh, adamant there was nothing she could do to change the prognosis of her disease. He even warned her against snake oil cures, saying they were useless. He put nails in her coffin and added the stress of incurability to her list of symptoms. He added di diagnostices, diagnostic, diagnostitis <laughs> and the fear of never recovering from her uh, MS diagnosis. How cruel are these doctors who so often sentence their patients to a life of illness? 
Doctors issue a divine proclamation that keeps many people discouraged and hopeless. And with their presumed authority in their words, they pass judgment on people. Doctors have indeed become the priesthood and wield terrible authority over their patients, and some of them don't even realize the power of their words. They know very little, and yet they never state their ignorance. They just pass on their hopelessness to their patients. The words they say are geared to fit into the standard practice of medicine. Any words outside that box can get them in trouble. Well, this is part of the Rockefeller population control agenda. The Rockefellers bought out and funded all the medical schools in the 20th century and began teaching and brainwashing all the upcoming medical students with allopathic pharmaceutical treatment methods. Okay. So in the comments section... Uh, the article is a moving story by a reader who says, quote, I am a burn survivor and was advised to not use insect repellent, perfume, shampoo, soap, aftershave, shaving cream, sunscreen, etc. When I asked my doctor why he wasn't telling the world about the stuff, uh, the harmful substances, in all these products, he looked at me, he looked me in the eye, and he said, I have a wife, children, a mortgage, and other patients to help. If I told the world what I told you, I, would, I wouldn't have any of it. I felt sorry for him. He had a tear in his eye, but I understood why he didn't tell the world. Yeah, uh, well... Uh, many doctors who have come out publicly speaking against the COVID and vaccine agendas have lost their medical license. Most re recently, uh, like the famous Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, lost his license, you know, and very prominent person. So uh, what's my message, it says? Make your own words be the tell of how you want your world to be and how you want your health to be. Don't let anyone else's words take away from your power. No authority on earth can do that. For an example of this, I'll read my natural news article, The Medical Monopoly. Okay, I'll put a link to it here. Um, another article here. The power of words are huge. You will never speak bad words again after watching this. Okay, this is an A&O production. Um, my editor's notes will be italicized or in red in this text here. Um, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And I want to remind you of the power of the mind. You can think yourself into a depression. You can think your way into stress. You can think your way into misery and frustration. There's so much more power in the mind than you probably would like to give yourself credit for. Change your mind. That's the word, by the way, that means repent. <laughs> 
Decide that you love yourself enough to not surround yourself with people, things, and situations that can have your mind continuing to spiral down this negative, dysfunctional train. Uh, <clears throat> if you'll remember Jesus, when he was going into an extreme case, he, uh, he would take his uh, most trusted disciples with him. Yeah. Once you are fed with an idea you are susceptible to, like an idea that this pill that we just got from the pharmaceutical company, it's the greatest, best thing for your issue, and I give you this pill and you get better. And then later you find out it was a sugar pill. And everybody says, yeah, that's called the placebo effect. What does it really mean? You didn't get healed by the pill. You got healed by the belief in the pill. Well, that's what placebo's all about. And a minimum of one-third of all medical intervention is the placebo effect. That's where the healing comes from. Imagine how the power would be multiplied beyond the natural. This is my thought now. How the power could be multiplied beyond the natural if we put our faith in the Word of God. That's the result, it goes on to say, of positive thinking. But what about negative thinking? This is what we don't talk about. But the reality is that it's equally powerful in regard to affecting your biology as is positive thinking. But it works in the opposite direction. A negative thought is called the nocebo effect. It can cause any disease and you can die. If you believe you're going to die, you can die from the belief. So we really have to watch out because as psychologists would tell us, 70% or more of our thoughts are negative and redundant and we're replaying the same negative thoughts. I say, if thoughts have nothing to do with it, fine. But thoughts, positive or negative, shape our biology. It's time to wake up because our negative thinking is manifesting in negative life experiences. Well, again, we should um, enter the supernatural power by faith in God's promises. The natural is true. It is true. It is by nature the way you are created. But supernatural is above the natural. Okay. Going on. Words are extremely powerful. You actually create your own laws and limitations for yourself using the words that you say most often. The greatest teacher to ever live, the carpenter from the plains of Galilee, once said, by your words, you are justified, and by your words, you are condemned. He understood the spiritual properties words possess. Well, we know faith makes us justified, and unbelief is a sin. So you can't get anywhere that way. So, going on, God actually spoke the universe into existence, also known as somatics or vibration. 
And remember, you are a piece, I will say, rather, we are made in the likeness of the Creator. They say you are a piece of the Creator. Well, uh, we were created in His image in the beginning, of course, and that became corrupt more and more. Uh, and and as a part of the Creator, we possess the same creative qualities. That's true. Never use phrases like, this is killing me, or this makes me sick, or this blows my mind, as one, one brother I knew said all the time. I said, stop blowing up your mind. <laughs> And though lighthearted, uh, those are actual commands that are stirring energy in motion. Oh, and by the way, he's not with us anymore. Uh, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs eighteen twenty through 21 in an easy reader. Uh, there are uh, high-energy words, and there are low-energy words, they say. High-energy words attract you, uh, attract to you, rather, positive people, positive situations, positive outcomes, positive circumstances. They also raise your health and the health and wellness of those listening. Uh, again, Quote, from the fruit of the lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Proverbs fifteen fourteen through 19. Low energy words do the exact opposite. They attract all manner of negative situations and circumstances, and they have also been proven to lower your immune system, making you uh, more susceptible to illness. Dr. Emoto's water experiment proved that words and intention actually have a physical impact on water. And and you know how much water we are, right? <laughs> so you, you want to affect, if you're going to affect water, you're going to affect yourself, right? So Dr. Emoto's laboratory does research on water samples which are subjected to various forms of outside influence. The impressions made upon the water are recorded by swiftly freezing it in a cryogenic chamber. Somebody said, Thank you to this water, or Excuse me, or You disgust me, or You idiot, or I hate you, or Love, or Hope, and Soul. So, pictures in the video that this was taken from show that the positive words created beautiful designs 
and the negative words made the water form chaotic and disorganized blobs. Yeah. <laughs> In Dr. Emoto's numerous experiments, uh, aimed at finding the word that cleanses the water most powerfully, have shown that it's not just one word, but a combination of two, love and gratitude. Would you say that it could be words of love and thanks to God? I would. Love and gratitude. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 10. Hmm. And Jesus said that your words are spirit. Yeah, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. It is the spirit that quickeneth. And quickeneth, by the way, is translated from a word which means gives life to. They are full of the spirit and life. It is the spirit that quickeneth. Amen. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Well, we can find that out because they don't get that life, right? John six sixty three through 64. Faith comes by hearing, just uh, like when we say, I can do this, and set out to accomplish it. That it is uh, the very words when heard, because faith comes by hearing, that when you hear yourself saying these words, I can do this, that you actually can get the courage and strength and the wherewithal to get something done. That's why it's not just important to think good thoughts. You have to speak those thoughts. Amen. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Amen. If you want things to come out and you want them to be manifested into the world, if you have a thought within you, you need to speak that thought out. You need to create by speaking the very thing that you have within you. You need to bring it somehow into this world and make it so. Think of it this way. A thought that is within you is not in the world. The thought that is in you is within you. It only It's only uh, in the world when you speak that thought and you give it a vibration uh, that it actually manifests. Well, of course, when we speak it, there is a vibration, and positive words have a positive vibration, and negative words a negative vibration. Going on, the Scriptures say that God spoke and everything became. The Scriptures say that every word that we speak will be judged accordingly, and that we will be held accountable for everything that we say and everything that we think because we're affecting everything around us with our words. So this is why we must take every thought captive, every thought that comes into our mind. It has to 
has the potential to create that thought in the world. And if manifested by the words that you speak, your thoughts create, your words make them become the very thing that you believe that they will be. And uh, quoting from some of James' word here, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. If we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, an inanimate object, right? Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. You hear that? It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, so you see those negative words coming out of your mouth can be coming from hell, not from heaven. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So now you see another way in which our words curse human beings convincing them of negative thoughts or speaking negative thoughts into them, right? And out of the same mouth come uh, praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring Produce fresh water. James 3, 1 through 12. Dr. Emoto um, has conducted another interesting experiment. He placed rice into three glass beakers and covered it with water. And then every day for a month he said, Thank you to one beaker. You're an idiot to the second. And the third one he completely ignored. After one month, the rice that had been thanked began to ferment, giving off a strong, pleasant aroma. The rice in the second beaker turned black, and the rice that was ignored began to rot. Hmm. Another experiment was to say good, positive, beautiful things to a good apple (laughs) and nasty things to the bad apple. Of course, they started out with similar, exactly the same apples, right? So I just took out uh, my apples from the bad apple jar 
and the good apple jar, and it's just amazing. The bad apple had brown spots all over it, and the good apple was preserved with no spots. So just speaking to the apple caused this. Try using 25 containers or even 50 containers. This works, and it shows that our thoughts literally shape our lives. Another experiment, by the way, I'm saying, was to put two strawberries into uh, two plastic baggies and uh, label one bag love and the other bag hate. The individual said, I love you, strawberry, to the baggie labeled love, and I hate you, strawberry, to the baggie labeled hate. So this was in the video, you see. So the love strawberry looks completely normal. And the hate strawberry had mold all over it. Figure that out. Hmm. People do things that annoy, disappoint, and anger. And though we cannot look into another's heart, we assume that we know a bad motive or even a bad person when we see one. This topic of judging others could actually be taught in a two-word sermon. When it comes to hating, gossiping, ignoring, ridiculing, holding grudges, or wanting to cause harm, please apply the following. Stop it. <laughs> that was the word, two words. Stop it. Okay. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. Ephesians 4 and 29. We'll make an exception here. Uh, you have to bring uh, correction to a person who is speaking destruction to other people. You have to make a correction. Now, these are the least likely people, the people who have these habits, to listen. Okay? But they have to be corrected. That's the Word of God. You do it for the sake of everybody else. And, of course, their correction uh, is coming right out of the Word of God. Going on. Haven't we all at one time or another meekly approached the mercy seat and pleaded for grace? Haven't we wished with all the energy of our souls for mercy to be given for the mistakes we have made and the sins we have committed? Well, that's good. Whenever anybody has this kind of a heart, you know, they're going to receive grace from God. You know, wanting uh, or confessing their sins. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But you'd be surprised how many people cannot confess their sins. And usually that's because they have a demon. Okay. Forgiving ourselves and others is not easy. In fact, for most of us, it requires a major change in our attitude and a way of thinking even a change of heart. This mighty change of heart is exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is designed to bring about. Amen. Let us be kind. Let us forgive. Let us talk peaceably with each other. Let us do good unto all men, uh, allowing us to see others the way our Heavenly Father sees us as flawed and imperfect mortals who have potential and worth 
far beyond our capacity to imagine. And that's what we need to do. We need to have that renewed imagination and speak those words. Amen? Because God loves us so much, we too must love and forgive. Remember, in the end, it is the merciful who obtain mercy. Yes. Believe it or not, each word that you speak is an affirmation or a confession, right? You are always affirming that you want more of it into your life by speaking it, by placing your attention on it, and by talking about it. Since that's the case, only talk about the joyous things that you would like to have and experience. And before you know it, those words will become an everyday part of your vocabulary and your life will soon follow suit. Well, that's true. Um, If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, we are told. Our uh, confession uh, forbids or permits. So we bind and loose, right? And it determines who will win the battle in the heavens. Victory in the battle in heaven has nothing to do with the power of the angels or demons, but our authority. One angel will easily bind Satan and cast him into the abyss, as in Revelation 21 and 2. But it says in Revelation 12 and 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred and his angels. And they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. So even though the angels and demons carry out the warfare, the saints give authority by the words of their mouth to the winning side. Verse 11, And they, that is the saints, overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, their faith in the blood of the Lamb, right? And because of the word of their testimony or their confession, right? And they loved not their life even unto death. So they were a repentant people walking in the crucified life. So they had authority and power. The saints forbid or permit angels and demons according to the word of their testimony. This is according to Jesus in Matthew 18 and 18. Verily I say unto you, what things soever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That is forbid or forbidden in heaven. And what things soever you shall loose or permit on earth shall be loosed or permitted in heaven. And because of this, we're motivated to agree with the word even when it is contrary to the sight realm or human sentiment. The word of God in us gives authority to the angels to conquer Satan. Many say, I bind the demons or I loose the angels. And while they continue to disagree with the word, this is, this is only hot air. It accomplishes nothing. Neither Jesus nor his disciples made these statements. We do not have to either. Just agree with the word in our everyday thinking. 
speech, and actions. Demons will be forbidden, while angels will be permitted. We are binding and loosing constantly by our words. I include uh, actions here because we cannot confess Christ while living in willful sin and expect the demons to be forbidden. It's imperative that we repent, change our mind, in order to cast down Satan's ability to rule over us. In 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, on down it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings, and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So if we want to win the battle in the heavens, we must first win it in our mind and with our tongue, because death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18 and 21. We have to repent, which means Change our mind, right? Okay, I want to talk to you about people who misuse their tongue and how destructive it is. And let me call it the ultimate fate of slanderers and railers, which the Bible speaks much about. Psalm 11 and 2. For lo, the wicked bend the bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. God says in His Word that slanders and revilers, or railers, it's the same word, will not be saved without repentance. But in these days many will not return from this path, just as when Jesus came the first time. And um, the word slanderer in Greek, is diablos, meaning accuser or devil, and is, in fact, a Spanish translation of devil. According to Vine's Expository Dictionaries, these are those who are given to finding fault with the demeanor and conduct of others and spreading their innuendos and criticisms in the church. Mm-hmm. In a similar way, the word reviler or railer in Greek is often blasphemio. You get the word blasphemy from that. And it means to blaspheme or speak against. That's what the word means. God or the brethren or both. In other words, speaking against others, especially behind their back as we first noticed there. Those who blaspheme are obviously of the same nature and controlled by the devil and not God. Just look at the wording, right? Diablos. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see a person or a group of people abusing some person like this, remember that these are demons speaking. Demons slander and rail against the righteous. So you can suspect that their victim is, is righteous. A lot of people don't suspect that, and they sit there and listen to this until it poisons their heart, which you're forbidden to do, Titus 3, 10, and 11, right? 
So the only exception to this rule is when God turns their venom onto one another in judgment. And he does this. This is how he fights against the wicked. You cannot associate with such people without a little leaven leavening the whole lump. So we're commanded in 1 Corinthians 5 to separate from them. Paul, by God, turned blasphemers who have fallen away from the faith and defiled their conscience uh, over to Satan. And God does this all the time. 1 Timothy 1 and 19, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having thrust from them made shipwreck concerning the faith. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they might be taught not to blaspheme. So we know that God still does this. Nothing has changed. The things that have been are the things that shall be. And revilers or railers are placed with the worst of men and rejected by all good men. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Or know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or railers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There you go. Faction here is uh, the purpose of slander and railing. It means to separate followers for selfish ambition. That's what they do. They rail against somebody uh, who, um, who they hate, and they continue to criticize them, even though there's no foundation to what they say. They begin to lie and to slander and so on and so forth. So we're commanded to separate from such after just two instances because it will leaven you so quickly. Titus 3, uh, I'm going to read 9 through 11. But shun foolish questionings and genealogies and strifes and fightings about law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A factious man, after a first and second admonition, refuse meaning uh, when they do it once, you correct them, and when they do it twice, twice, you correct them again, and then you refuse them. No more. 11. Knowing that such a one is perverted and sinneth being self-condemned. Galatians 5 and 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, wraths, factions, divisions, parties, envyings, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of which I forewarn you and even as I did forewarn you that they who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is again. They shall not inherit. And the word parties here, by the way, is very similar. It means a self-willed opinion. In other words, it's true because I say it's true. 
a self-willed opinion leading into dividing into sects or denominations. And that's where they came from. <laughs> uh, slander and facture, faction are always associated with lying spirits and other forms of deceit like subtle innuendos, right? Psalm 50 and 19, on down, it says, Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Speak against is like the word blaspheme. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. So none of these enter the kingdom of God without repentance. None of them. Revelation 21 and 8 says, But for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and adulterers and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars. So, we must endure the cross of death to fleshly lusts of unforgiveness and bitterness, hatred, faction, strife, slander, railing, lying, criticism, judging others, etc., and cast them off as the weights that hold us back from winning this race. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, let us also, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, yes, they're all watching, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, the one who receives the prize is the true body of Christ, in whom Christ himself lives. And those who live after these lusts cannot receive the prize. For the race is to bear the fruit of Christ, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, before our time is up. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24 says, Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So you have to be abiding in that one who is Jesus Christ to receive the prize. And even so, run that you may attain. If there is no cross, there is no crown. And all who indulge their flesh in unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and faction and strife and criticism and judging others, will not inherit the prize of Christ. And verse 25 goes on to say, And every man that striveth in the games exercises self-control in all things. This is self. All of this is self, you see. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Amen. The flesh that desires these lusts must be crucified. 
or the person will be rejected, no matter how much they think that they have done for God. Verse 26, I therefore so run as not uncertainly. You can't make, it has to be certain. I mean, you have to know that when you get to the end of this run that you are saved. I therefore so run and not as not uncertainly, so fight I as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means that after I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Again, if they refuse to deny their flesh to obey God's word, they will be destroyed. Paul said in Romans 8, that if we walk after the flesh, we must die. And we've watched these people over the years lose their health, the respect of all righteous people, and their ministries, and often their lives. The Lord takes no pleasure in the strength of the beastly flesh or the walk of man, according to Psalm 147 and verse 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse, he taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. God forbade Israel to use horses from Egypt because of what they represented. They represented harnessing uh, flesh to do our works for us, right? So those full of slander, railing, reviling, criticism, unforgiveness, delusion, paranoia, gossip, Jezebel, are often judged because they refuse to forgive anyone and are turned over to the tormentors, as Jesus said in Matthew eighteen thirty four and 35. Rejection and self-will and lust for position is the common denominator and root of most slanderers and railers and revilers. We know that there is deliverance from rejection and its fear. We have a link for that you can go to. So these people are not qualified to judge, for they themselves are sinners. Second Corinthians 10 and 6 says, And being in readiness to avenge all disobedience, when your obedience shall be made full. So these people usually do not prefer to face the ones that they accuse uh, in front of righteous because they they know that they cannot stand up in the light of the truth of the word that they would be faced with. Yeah, Psalm 11 and 2. For lo, the wicked bend the bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. They are, as we have coined the phrase before, Christian snipers. Christian uh, being loosely used. So we must forgive these people of all their backstabbing attacks, like Judas. They are necessary for the crucifixion of the body of Christ, but also, like Judas, they hang themselves with their own hands, and woe be unto them, as Paul said. And we may plead with them for peace, but they consistently refuse. Therefore, they are turned over to the tormentors, as Jesus said in 120 and 6. Amen. My soul hath long had her dwelling with him that hateth peace. 
I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. In Isaiah 48 and 22, There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. They can't find any peace, and it's because of what comes out of their mouth. They have to reap what they sow. The sower went forth to sow. That was the word of Jesus sown in the hearts of people. A word is a sowing of a seed, you see. And so the the seeds that they sow come back upon them. So here's some verses that the Lord gave me about the constant slander and railing that we endure from these kinds of people. Judges, verse 8. Yet in like manner, these also in their dreaming defile the flesh and set at naught dominion. They, they don't submit to authority. One of them said to us recently, I don't obey any man. Okay? So, but of course, um, I pointed out to him um, that he was commanded to obey the elders. Uh, of course, when verses come up, sometimes they say, oh, yeah, well, I believe in that, or, or, or make some kind of an excuse, but they don't do it. And uh, I'll read that again. In their dreamings, they defile the flesh and set at naught dominion and rail at dignities or glories, right? People who have authority in the kingdom. But Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these rail at whatsoever things they know not, and what they understand naturally. In other words, in the letter. Like the creatures without reason, uh, in these things are they destroyed. You see, it's what's coming out of their mouth that destroys them. You can look at them, and you can see them being destroyed. You can see their children being destroyed. You can see their wives or husbands being destroyed. Verse 11, Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain. Uh, well, what way is that? Well, it's to kill their more spiritual brother, right? And ran riotously in the error of Balaam for hire. In other words, they're bribed by their flesh to do evil, to speak evil, so on. And uh, perished in the gainsaying of Korah, who was usurping the authority that was not his. Uh, all of these people usurp authority. Yes, all of them do. They claim titles many times, but they always exercise authority over other people, even elders or respected people. These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feast when they feast with you. Well, they're hidden, but God makes them become revealed. Shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Well, that's true. However, in the original numerics, uh, shepherds was not there. And... Um, but it includes other people who do the exact same thing. And so, that without fear feed themselves. In other words, they feed their own flesh. Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. 
So these people um, that go astray and speak astray with their mouth, um, they are plucked up by the roots. That means twice dead. If you, you can't get twice dead unless you're twice born, unless you're born again. Wild waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, meaning not keeping their position in the heavenlies, right? For whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved forever. Psalm 50 and 19. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thy own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. And thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. This is always what ultimately happens. And 52 and 1, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Because they do brag about you know what they've said to others and done to others and so on and so forth. Brag about their evil. The loving kindness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue devises very wickedness like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. All liars shall be what? In the lake of fire, right? Thou lovest all devouring words. Thou deceitful tongue. God will likewise destroy thee forever. He will take thee up and pluck thee out of thy tent, which is your temporary tabernacle there, and root thee out of the land of the living. So God will destroy people for the wicked things that they say against the righteous and against God. And 55 and 18, He hath redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for they were many that strove with me. God will hear and answer them, even he that abideth of old. Selah. The men who have no changes, in other words, they're not born from above by the word of God, and who fear not God. Verse 20. He hath put forth his hand against such as were at peace with him. He hath profaned his covenant. His mouth was smooth as butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, wilt bring them down into the pit of destruction." Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. Notice how much all of these judgments have to do with spoken words, right? Third John 9, I wrote somewhat unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Therefore, if I come, I will bring to remembrance his works, which he doeth, prating against us with wicked words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and them that would, 
he forbiddeth and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, imitate not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. So if you or anyone you know has fallen into blasphemy or speaking against others, especially behind their backs, which I might add, uh, even the wicked people in the world uh, have a disgust for people that do such things, backstabbing and so on. They must repent to be saved. Slanders or railers usually have rejection and selfish ambition uh, that perverts their thinking. Uh, I would caution anyone who has witnessed these spirits in action to look at the facts. They most often offer slander without witnesses of sin. What do the witnesses say? Proverbs 18 and 17, He that pleadeth his cause first seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. In other words, you're taking a one-sided opinion of a person that's not right, obviously, or they wouldn't be saying such things, right? So you're talking to a perverted person in the first place. You need to talk to the other side and don't make a decision without talking to the other side, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's too late if you continue to give in to the talk of these people. Those demons will enter into you, and you will never hear the other side, and it won't matter to you either. So many times God draws vessels of dishonor against us for a purpose. Micah 4.11 says, And now many nations are assembled against thee that say, Let her be defiled. Let our eyes see our desire upon Zion. Well, their their biggest mistake is coming against the bride, right? But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel, for he hath gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. In other words, judgment is going to come upon them. The judgment that has come out of their mouth is going to come upon them according to the word of God. He said, I will curse them that curse thee. And uh, arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. So he's going to give authority to the bride to bring judgment against these wicked people who have slandered the bride, Zion. For I will make thy horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many peoples, and I will devote their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Well, you know, we pray in each case that this is not for the destruction of souls, but the flesh of the old man. We pray that. But sadly, uh, too often, it is a destruction of souls. And we pray that souls will walk away from this being better for the experience. But those who do not repent will die spiritually and or physically. Get your swords, saints, and fight on the side of the Lord and His Word. Don't be afraid of a few arrows shot out of darkness into your back. It's a common thing. Uh, Psalm 11 and 2 says, For lo, the wicked bend the bow, they shoot 
They make ready their arrow upon the string, and that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. They don't want to be uh, faced with the word of God, so they do it behind the person's back. And what they do to the least of Jesus' brethren, they do unto him, he says. Psalm 22. I'm going to read uh, 12, 13, and 16. 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have set me round. This was, of course, those uh, Jewish leaders that were coming against Jesus. They gape upon me with their mouth as a ravening and roaring lion. And 16, for dogs have compassed me, a company of evil doers have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And they still do that today, by the way. Hands being your works and feet being your walk. They have everything to criticize, right? And as we can see, their problem is being a hearer of the word while not doing the word. This is what separates the Judases from the disciples, as like the tares are separated from the wheat. The tares will walk after their lusts of defilement because they cannot bear the fruit of Christ. And even though we all hate to see them fall away, it's necessary for the body to be sanctified. Read our, our in our book, um, Hidden Manner for the End Times, uh, The Son of Perdition. It's necessary to have them, okay? At least for a time. They always get judged the same way, like Judas was. And as we have seen, slanderers and railers and liars cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's my Father who wrote those words of Scripture, whom they do not fear, believe, nor obey. And on the other hand, saints or sanctified ones dwell in the kingdom of God, for they abide in Jesus, who is the Word. And when corrected by the Word, uh, Judas went to Jezebel <laughs> to crucify Jesus. Right? So they can't take correction. When they have rejection and they're trying to lift themselves up above other people, they cannot take correction. They will not repent and confess their sins so that they can get delivered. It's the condition. History always repeats the only people who would believe Judas's are evil. Because the Bible says an evildoer giveth heed to lying lips. So when they write all their slander, and they don't, of course, give you equal time, <laughs> they write all their slander, it's the wicked that believe lying lips. Yeah. We have no fear that righteous people will follow the Judases and the Jezebels. It, it cannot happen, uh, for they're not born of the same father, and therefore they look quite different. So let's see if this is true. I've been criticized by Judas's because I've pointed out by dreams and by the word that they will die. And I've said that this is happening spiritually and can end up in physical death. Whereas they have been ministered to in love, some for years, nevertheless they have chosen lies, unforgiveness, and hatred uh, when corrected. Right. And when we've corrected people, that were in this state, it was needed and necessary. 
they were 11. And uh, we always did it carefully because we know of the backlash that comes out of these kinds of people when you do correct them. So the righteous see these things, and and they're exceedingly sorry. And, um, of course, they go to their father. Matthew 18 and 31 says, For when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were exceedingly sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord called him unto him and said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou besoughtest me. Shouldest not thou also have had mercy on thy fellow servant, even as I had mercy upon thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. And believe me, you can see the tormentors on these people. You can see it on their actions, their words, their dress, their demeanor, uh, the corruption of the curse that they're living under all around them. So, they deliver him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due. In other words, they end up having to pay for their own sins. You don't want to be in that position. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you if you forgive not everyone his brother from your hearts. Well, notice that their unforgiveness turns them over to demons who in turn hate the righteous and cannot have peace with them. So these spirits will be manifested in them as hatred towards the righteous. In 1 John 3 and 13, Marvel not, brethren, if the world hateth you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. You see that? Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Well, uh, but like Judas, it is themselves that they're killing, for they abideth in death, quote-unquote. And as we have seen, they cannot enter life with those sins. This death is increasingly manifesting in them. For everything that they learned by word and example has been forgotten through criticism and hatred. Historically, I have seen this happen with every railer. They fall away and are sick in their bodies and dying or dead. Only those who love and know God are born of Him. The rest have a different father. And his nature is in them. 4 and 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is begotten of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Herein was the love of God manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man hath beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abideth in us, and His love is perfected in us. 
and verse 16, And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. God is love, and he that abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. We'll notice that God is not in those who hate and cannot love. So this hatred in them twists everything into a lie. They cannot tell the truth. Or they cannot keep the commandment of love. And 2 and 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. These people do not love God, but their true Father, from whom they are being begotten. As in the parable of the sower, the word from heaven is the seed of God in us, the, the word of God. And then there is also a word from hell in James, right? Uh, which is the seed of Satan in these people that hate. And 4 and 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen cannot love God whom he hath not seen. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Look at their fruit, and you can tell if they're lying. If there is hatred and their mouth is opened, they're liars. Lying witnesses who claim to be the people of God sent Jesus and the apostles to their deaths. You cannot feed at the table of Satan's lies without being affected or infected. Don't worry. When they're through separating the tares unto themselves, which is what they end up doing, uh, through their lies, they will shine forth in the kingdom of our Father as spotless and blemishless bride. Yeah, there will shine forth this spotless and blemishless bride. And they who are forsaking the right way are the spots and blemishes among us. Again, Second Peter 2 and 12, But these as creatures without reason, born mere animals to be taken and destroyed, railing in matters whereof they are ignorant, shall in their destroying surely be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the hire of wrongdoing, men that count it pleasure to revel in the daytime spots and blemishes, reveling in their deceivings while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they're all fornicators. It's amazing. Everybody's in faction is a fornicator one way or the other, and some of it's pretty perverse. And they cannot cease from sin, enticing unsteadfast souls, having a heart exercised in covetousness, children of cursing. Forsaking the right way, they went astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the hire of wrongdoing. Yes, they loved to please their flesh, right? It were better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, verse 21, then after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered unto them. So it would be better that they were never saved. 
Verse 22, It has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog turning to his own vomit again, and the sow that had washed to wallowing in the mire. Yes, that's why they become twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Though those who work so hard to divide people unto themselves for their own lustful purposes are doing the kingdom a service. 1 Corinthians 11.19 says, For there must be also factions among you, that they that are approved may be made manifest among you. Hmm. Birds of a feather flock together. Right? An evildoer giveth heed to lying lips. But these liars... God is separating these tares into bundles to burn them so that the righteous will then shine forth in the kingdom of our Father. Amen. And Matthew 13 and 30 says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather up first the tares. That's what's happening. And bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn. He has done this. He's been doing this very strong um, in our body here since 2011. Verse 37. And he answers and said, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom. In other words, these were people who were once born, twice born, and then plucked up by the roots. Gather out of his kingdom all, and the word things was not in the original, all that cause stumbling and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth in the sun in the kingdom of their father. He that hath ears, let him hear. Well, notice that Father is gathering out of His kingdom those who do iniquity and cause others to stumble. And, of course, the bride will not be finished until this process is completed, and then there's no more need for these people. So, take courage and uh, the sword of the Spirit to fight the good fight of the faith, right? Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Amen. Well, Lord, um, what we're learning is that what comes out of our mouth will either bless, heal, deliver, or it will defile Lord, uh, put a watch before our lips, as your word says. 
Help us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Lord, anoint us that your words come out of our mouths. Uh, We know that the words are there to do more than one thing. For one thing, even people who are reprobated uh, are reprobated because they don't listen to the word, whether it comes out of the mouth of a believer or a donkey. They will not believe the word. And this condemns them. They're not... They can't be condemned unless they are caught breaking the law of God, right? And so when you speak to them, you may think that you, you're not doing any good, but in in such a case, you are actually doing good. You're cleansing the body of Christ of these people because if they don't listen, they will be judged. Uh, what they sow, they will reap. All will reap, okay? So, we need to repent and turn to the Lord and let our words be His words. We need to study the Word of God and put it in our heart. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might prove what's the good and acceptable Word of God, right? And so... um. Being granted repentance and desiring earnestly to be in favor, in the favor of God. We want to speak the words of truth. We uh, do not want to judge if we're overtaken in any sin ourselves because that automatically brings judgment back upon us according to the word. Uh, and of course, the biggest sinners out there are the ones that do the most judging and it destroys them. And uh, and so, it's better to err on the side of mercy and grace. If you don't know, you you can't make a move without uh, two or three witnesses. The Bible says, you can't receive an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. The Bible says, but they do it all the time. They receive these thoughts in their minds from demons or from other people. And they disobey the Word of God, and so they're turned over to judgment. And their thinking becomes more corrupt, then their words become more corrupt. It's a downhill slide to destruction. So, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name that you would um, grant wisdom to every one of us to make sure we're obeying the rules. And... uh, Lord, uh, one of the rules that is most commonly ignored by these railers is Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. And it starts out, of course, you go to the brother, you and him alone, and discuss your disagreement. And then, two, you bring a witness. And if they don't listen to them, you bring it before the church. All of these evil people, all of the railers, all of the slanderers, all of these people disobey this. They go directly to the church. All of them do that. They don't do the witness thing. They don't go to the brother to find out if what they thought was right. They don't want anybody able to come against what they're doing. They don't believe in the checks and the balances. 
So, at any rate, um, we can see very clearly from the verses we've looked at here that what we come, what comes out of our mouth matters in the kingdom. It will either justify us, which means account us righteous, or uh, it will judge us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that um, you help us to be patient with uh, people who are caught in these uh, predicaments. Uh, rejection is a uh, common denominator in many of these people. And rejection, of course, comes because uh, they have felt to be rejected by other people or corrected by other people which they could not take or uh, and they may have fear of rejection also which makes it where that uh, they will not be able to confess their sins. They're afraid to confess their sins. So it's a trap of the devil. And uh, people are getting delivered of that uh, because if they love the Lord more than they love their flesh, more than they love their sin, they'll get delivered. There's no doubt about it. And uh, so, Lord, uh, so pray for them, of course. That's one of the common uh, foundations for people who speak very wrong and evil things out of their mouth. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. We want to be in right relationship with you. We'd like to be in right relationship with what James said about the tongue, how it can turn the whole body around. Uh, that was very clear from the so-called experts that we listen to. You know, it's very clear that your tongue can turn your body around. It can change your DNA. It can restore your DNA. Oh, praise God. And uh, it's very clear that the, the tongue can bring healing, as we read, as we saw, uh, and the tongue can bring the curse. And uh, so, Lord, help us to come into agreement with you. How can two walk together except they be agreed? We want to walk with you, Lord. We want to agree with you. We want to speak what you say. And um, we don't want to go beyond the things that are written as we are warned in the Scripture. And uh, we don't want to add to the Word of God or take away from the Word of God which brings us under the curses of the book, right? So, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. We desire earnestly to be with you forever. We ask that you grant us repentance from anything that's contrary to you. You said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a powerful promise. But yet people will not confess their sins. They're either too proud or they have a fear of rejection, but they cannot confess their sins. The demons in them will not permit it. I have actually, you know, stood in front of people and said, now, if you confess your sins, we can cast this out. And uh, they cannot do it. They're caught they've been turned over to this reprobation and they can't change. 
Does it mean they'll always be that way? Well, in many cases, yes, of course, they'll always be that way. Uh, in other cases, uh, the pressure of the tribulation period will bring some to repentance. But after a person goes just so far in this, uh, many times they never turn back. And uh, so I would say be quiet. The most important thing for people who have any of these temptations is be quiet. Then renew your mind with the Word of God and renew your mind with the judgments that come upon people that do such things so that you have the fear of God. But if you confess your sins, the Lord says He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's an awesome promise. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us, your grace to us, your mercy to us, O Lord. We want to see everybody saved. We're very grieved when we see someone that's turned away from you and turned to these things that destroy them. But it has to be in order to cleanse the church of um, the tares. And uh, it's a necessary thing. So we, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We uh, give thanks to you also for the persecution, Lord. Um, we know that it's it's part of our making, and we are to take it patiently. And uh, we thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. We have turned our life to you, and we love you, and we want to obey you always. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. Thank you for joining us today, saints. God be with you. We'll do this again. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. My thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus. Jesus, I trust in